welcome to Women Express. This is one of the most challenging times in our history of America. It's one of the most challenging times for me as an African-American woman, for my host, I'm sure, or the person I'm interviewing today. I'm sure that this is an extraordinary and interesting time for her too. So I want to welcome to Women Express podcast, Angie Beto. Angie Beto has spent 40 years as a community volunteer leader, championing public education and fighting for the underdog. The founder and CEO of hyper-local online news website, townsquarebuzz.com, Angie has now combined her passion for politics and education with her desire to serve others and is running for Texas State Representative as a Democrat. Yay! Oh. Which is why I'm having her on today. She <laughs> resides in McKinney, Texas, and is a mom to two sons and a daughter, and Gigi, which I love, to her two grandchildren. And, you know, as a state representative, she says, my vision would be for the legislature to get to a place where although we passionately fight for the support of the values that we believe in, that legislatures work together to come up with solutions that will put people, and I'm just going to ad lib here a little bit, all people Mm -hmm. over politics. So welcome, Angie. It's so great to have you. I'm so excited to participate with you, Denise. We've been friends for a very long time, and I've always admired all you do in your business and personal life. And so I am absolutely thrilled to be able to be here and have some conversation today. Yes, this podcast is all about giving women the platform to speak. And we have a lot to say, and I know you have a lot to say. I was lucky last night to participate in a town hall that you created for your campaign. And I have to say, you let us, well, you let me just really express myself and to really, not that that's a privilege, because that just what is what is. I'm, I like to talk. I always am expressing. I've never held back on the things that I believe in. But we did come across the thought that we haven't really shared some of these deeper experiences of what it's like to be a white woman in America right now, or even then, 20 years ago, when I was on the golf course with you and actually eight months pregnant, yeah, <laughs> seven okay. months, I was big. <laughs> riding in a golf cart and yeah. trying to keep up with, with my girlfriends who were better at golf than me. I, I was used to hit and giggle. <laughs> I still do. I still have the, uh, let's just pick this one up and throw it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I've also always admired you too. You made some choices in life that really were about participating in a way to support your husband to be the executive that he was. Your husband was so supportive and actually instrumental in bringing me into two major corporations. And one of those corporations I'm still doing business with today, and it's only gotten deeper and expanded more. So, I mean, the Beto family has been 
my champions from you to Ken, your children have always been a part of it and you've been a part of my family as well. So this is a very special moment and I'm grateful to have you. I do want to ask you a couple of questions. <laughs> of course. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. And the first thing is, what made you run for office and why now? Especially in Texas. Uh, right? I know. As a Democrat? As right? a Democrat. Oh, wow. This is complicated. Truly complicated. You know, I, I do have a heart for serving have done that for many, many, many years. However, it's beyond that. You know, I've always had, and I get this from my mom, I think, I've had a heart for the underdog. I am incensed by injustice when I see it. And this is Texas politics, right? And I don't know how much people keep on track of Texas politics outside of Texas. I do know that sometimes we make the news for the typically horrific decisions that come out of Austin from our extreme right legislature. That, and that's part of why I'm running. I feel like when I, I'm out talking to people and I'm out talking to voters and I ask them, I want to know what matters to them, what are they concerned about? And one of the top things that I hear over and over is about the divisiveness. We're sick to death of the divisiveness that we're experiencing. Friends have lost friends. Families have separated themselves from family members. We're just somehow blowing up. And, mm -hmm. you know, so they talk about that often. And so that was definitely a part of my decision to run because I feel like I'm a person who works hard to listen mm -hmm. to every side. I believe a lot of times people want me to say, okay, there's a pardon the, this statement, black and white answer to every issue. I don't see things that way. I think it's very complex, very nuanced. I often see positives from both sides. However, to be honest, when Trump got elected, every single day, I feel like I have this pit in my stomach and I needed to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And so I yeah. felt compelled to try to just stop talking. I'm a results person. I yeah. always want to see action. I want to see a result that, you know, we have some plan for long term. But in Texas specifically, we in Austin have spent way too many years focused on what I consider discriminatory policy. It's mm. anti, anti people of color. Our policies are discriminatory toward LGBTQ members of our communities. We have used religion as an excuse to... Yes discrimination. Yes. So, and that's really personal for me on mm -hmm. a lot of levels. Well, you say it's personal for you. So what do you mean by that, that it's personal for you? So my oldest son, Matt, is gay. And he and his partner actually got married in D.C. Mm -hmm. almost, it'll be, it's 11 and a half years, almost 12 years ago. Oh, sweet. Yes. The day that, you know, the Supreme Court said yes 
to legalizing gay marriage was the most exciting day for us. And in Texas specifically, my opponent specifically has been pushing legislation like it's okay to use conversion therapy. If you're a therapist, you have to marry people if that's against your religion. We don't want any legislation on local levels that would give bigger rights to LGBTQ community members. And so it's, it's just infuriating because honestly, as Matt was growing up, in those days, of course, you didn't ask your child if he was gay at six or eight or whatever. But you know what? As a mom, I knew. I knew. Mm-hmm. And that was a conversation we just didn't have in those days. But he was bullied routinely, not accepted routinely. And for you know, as a mom, that is extremely troubling and difficult to watch. And I thought to myself, we need to get to a place. It is 2020. This is, we know all this science. We know that being gay is a genetics. It's not that it's a choice. I used to always say this to my friends who were, you know, Baptist or, you know, extremely religious. And I I would say to them, okay, help me understand who would ever choose this life? Exactly. Yes. Use this life exactly. because in the days we had Matthew Shepard. Remember him, mm-hmm. who was old on the fit. Oh my gosh! So interestingly enough, I grew up in North Central Pennsylvania, up from north of Harrisburg, in a town community of two thousand people. There was not one person of color. Now, interestingly enough, for me, my parents. My, you know, my dad was a pastor, and my parents were not our only experience with anyone of color was every year my dad made us go to Philadelphia to the black church, one of the black churches. And then every other year they would come to us. It was this interdenominational in those days. One thing that I, I love that the story and why your, your religious upbringing really made you open to the ideas of diversity and, you know, black people in your lives just coming and going as if they were just another person. Yet here we are in an era where you're having as a woman, you have to look at what is my privilege bring me as a white woman? Where have I been complicit in racism? And how is that going to affect now your march towards becoming a voted participant in politics in Texas. Wow. <laughs> start. Where do I start? <laughs> yes. So I will start with this. In my own head, I have never, ever thought I was better than anyone else. I know that sounds bizarre, probably, But in my own head, I never, you know, I've worked in the nonprofit world the last probably six years, and I have so much empathy, I think, as I've learned about people's situations. And I never think that I am better than anyone, period. 
And so I think true confession, I started calling my youngest son, who is an educator. He said to me months ago, mom, you need to read White Fragility. Yes. And so I said, of course I will. We both like to read. We both like to then discuss what we read. We both read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, and then talked about that. And so I said, yes, I will. But I'd like my book club to read it as well. So here we are. And my book club is reading that. So honestly, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't even until I started reading that book that I was truly slapped over the head with the fact that I do have this privilege just because I was born white. Exactly. I never, ever thought about it, Denise. It never occurred to me. I just didn't, it wasn't a thing in my head. So for me, those kinds of realizations are gradual, but also sometimes just the slap upside the face that clearly I need. And I think with George Floyd's death and the continue, I mean, starting with, oh gosh, where do we even start? Back in the 90s. I mean, all the police violence and brutality, right? And the murders and the, oh my gosh, this was the last straw for me, George Floyd's death. And seeing it, maybe it was because it was you know, there were people right there. And honestly, I like to think because I ha- I'm white, I would have jumped on that cop's back. <laughs> I would. I, yeah, and you would have gotten away with it. <laughs> right? I mean, we're laughing, but the no, truth is, is you would have gotten away with it. Whereas if I had jumped on his back, I'd probably not be alive today. Exactly. And I think I would have not been shot. But I, anyone who was African-American in that group could not make that move because no. most likely they would have been shot. No. no. So I how would, does this actually help you now as you start to move in that direction? And oh, by the way, I hope you win because your personality, your commitment, your openness, your ability to really look at differences and not divide, but to see you know, how do I help to move the efforts along? How do I help with equal justice for all people? I mean, how do you see this preparing you for running for office? Well, I really believe it's a foundational piece that was, I didn't realize it, but was missing in my ability to empathize and begin, also underscores the need for me to listen, because I don't know. I can't know what it's like to be black. I can't know. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm hopeful that we, meaning all people of color, myself, my other white friends, that we can have meaningful conversation that helps me understand. I know last night in our town hall discussion, I forget exactly. I believe you said this, actually. There are so many cultural differences that we need to educate ourselves around, right? So for me, that was like, oh, you're right. You know, I need to do a better job of understanding because I cannot work for people as effectively for all people if I don't know. And I don't know. Knowledge is power. It's definitely power. And the funny thing about being on that town hall last night with you is I want everybody to know Angie came in right at the beginning and said oh my goodness 
I'm the only white person here. And we, the three white black people who were being interviewed, we all said, welcome to our world. (laughs) You know, normally in these corporate environments, even in legislative environments, it is uncommon to see more of us than not. I mean, it's just amazing that now as you're moving towards becoming this democratic representative and bringing this wisdom and experience that you're now having is going to make a big difference to how you lead. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have you, and I had actually asked you to do this interview before George Floyd, And the direction that I was going into at that time that's even more turned up, even more elevated in this moment, I was going in that direction thinking, okay, here's a woman in Texas running in Texas. Why women? Why us? Why is it that we make such great legislative choices for our political community, for our community in general? And some of it is based on what I teach in the women's summits that I do that, you know, it's not a norm, but generally speaking, and you just gave us that experience, women have a harder time dealing with dividing. And, you know, I love to use analogies. You, you all have heard that you heard the, the bathtub analogy earlier. But the other analogy that I use in women's summits that I do is if you take a woman who can't bear her own children and she has to adopt, usually it doesn't matter what the, the cultural makeup is of that child. She still loves that child. And Absolutely. let's take the same woman who now, for whatever reasons medically, can have her own children, she will take her child, her biological child, along with her adoptive child, no matter what the creed, color, culture, and put them in a playpen together and love them both. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the, this is just my hyperbole, this is my, on my high horse way of thinking. But you just talked about it when you gave us the example of your son. How do you have a son that is gay and not love him or her? I don't know. That was not an option for me. I think that's true for a lot of women that the bottom line is, is that we don't have that kind of choice. Our choice is to love. And it's interesting. Now I'm on the soapbox. but. It's my podcast, you know, it's mine. I was just talking to one of the premier leadership and business speakers of our time, Steve Farber. And we were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago and we both just thought, oh my goodness, why don't we put my workshop together with yours workshop and create this leadership forum where we give women the opportunity to shine in the forum with your business acumen and leadership acumen behind it and with me as well. And the more we talked about it, we realized that we have the ability in what we've been training and teaching out there in the corporate world to help change business as we know it by bringing these two pieces together, what is true leadership and what is true women's leadership. And the interesting thing we got to in our conversation yesterday, and Steve has written several books, but where we got to in our conversation is he said what he's been finding 
and what, you know, Tom Peters and some of the other big leadership gurus have been finding is the one characteristic that is making a difference in business today and going forward is the ability to love. That business absolutely will thrive in the concept of love. And they, they have facts and figures. I can't give it to you because I didn't go that deep with him in terms of that. It was just a general meeting for creating the summit. But he said, theoretically, and what they're finding in the research is women typically, generally speaking, have that ability to love and that they bring that to their corporate experiences. And I'm just going to venture to say that you're going to bring it to your political experience and the politics in this world really deserves a woman who knows how to bring things together and love irrespective of what they see in terms of color and and sexual orientation. Amen. Don't you think? I do. So I took a class. Are you familiar with Annie's List? Yes. Okay. Way back last early fall, they offered a class in Austin for potential for for candidate prospects. And so I went down to Austin to take that class because I wanted to learn what they had to say. And one of the things we talked about was, of course, they support women candidates, right? And so one of the things we talked about is what makes women really good politicians. And you nailed it. We bring compassion to the table. We know how to love our fellow man, often with no strings attached, right? And we listen. And I would also add to that, I think my age brings with it some wisdom where I know that I, as much as I want change yesterday, and we need change really soon, There's so much work that has to be done. That being said, I also know that I need to pick my battles. Mm -hmm. I can't go tackle everything out of the gate. I also know that in many cases, I am going to need to build a relationship based on trust with anyone else around the table, be they Democrats or Republicans, so that they trust that I'm going to mean what I say and do what I say. And we can then come together from some context, right? With a background and utilize, they know that I care about them and bring some compassion to the table. So they know that my ulterior, I don't have an ulterior motive of I'm going to cut you down. But what we need to do is work together to find a way to get results for all people. For all people, because, you know, I think corporations, and I think they're also having a great reawakening. I mean, I know when I first started working with several corporations in the 90s, which is when I started my business, there was just this push to make sure that more minorities were involved. And at least there was, you know, this way of thinking about it. And now, as a result of what we're seeing in these experiences with George Floyd and others who have been killed in the hands of our justice system, corporations are starting to say, what happened to our policies And we have to reenact. We've got to get them back in place again. And we've got to make a real commitment to change. It's funny because 
I do this bad thing in the morning. And the bad thing is, is I pick up my cell phone and I start going through emails and Facebook. I do the same thing. <laughs> so I have to, I'm just, you know, this is a moment of, uh, I, I'm saying here of what I do and I know I'm not supposed to, I should meditate or something and freshen my mind with positivity, but I don't do it every day, but generally speaking, I do. And I was reading in my emails a message from, and I can say this because these are, our, these are you're all women out there listening and you'll get it. I got a message from the European Wax Center. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> and it was all about dear valued EWC guests and everything that they were confronting and doing and they wanted active listening and they wanted to listen to every African-American associate that works in their facility. And, you know, they were saying their entire company, you know, will succeed in bigger and greater ways if they aim to unite and understand and face and confront within themselves where they let their mission be devoid of diversity or that Black Lives Matter. Isn't that amazing? This is like, this is where you go get your eyebrows waxed. Right. And they are making serious, I mean, this, it just went on for like, I printed it off. It went on for like six pages. I mean, you know, they wanted to lift up the voices of their Black associates and bear witness to their personal stories. It was deep. Yes, because you you wouldn't even think that a company such as that, right, that in some ways we view as a service that could be superfluous to our essential needs, right? Yeah. It's yeah. right. But at the yeah. same time, you wouldn't think often that someone, that they would be thinking about it. But yeah. isn't that great progress to know? Oh my goodness, it's great progress. It's, it speaks to the times. And I think that, you know, in encouraging you, Angie, because I would look for a representative like you, someone who's sensitive. And for all those of you who are listening, Angie already said, I brought my tissues just in case I start crying. That's true. (laughs) And you know what? I used to tell when I first started doing my Women Leading with Impact Summits, I used to bring tissues because I knew at some point somebody, if they really allowed themselves to go deep, would cry. Once some woman was going to cry. And the nature of who we are is emotional. But we tell ourselves or we are told or we've been told in the past that you can't cry because women get so emotional and that we're not effective in our emotional state. Well, quite frankly, we're very effective in our emotional state. That's true. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because, of course, as a candidate, I get feedback from every which way, like every, <laughs> every, you know, whatever I do, whatever I say, whatever I wear, it's hard to be a female candidate. And I don't normally talk about this because I don't want to use that as a crutch and I don't dwell on it at all. It's not part of my regular thought processes on a normal day. But since you, you know, broached the subject, (laughs) I do think it's challenging for women as candidates, people critique our hair. Oh my God, I might have a hair out of place or our makeup. And do you wear too much makeup? Do you wear not enough? Whatever clothes you wear. I used to think, so I was a big Beto fan, 
loved Beto O'Rourke and was a big supporter and was sorely disappointed when he, he lost to Ted Cruz. That being said, yeah, me too. I used to marvel. He would show up in jeans and just a nice rolled up sleeves, white dress shirt or blue mm-hmm. shirt or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have a picture with him. He was here in McKinney and I thought, man, I want to do that, right? But now I feel like I have to get out the dress and then, you know, depends Mm -hmm. on what the shoes are. That being said, I don't want that to take away from my message because the message is more important Mm -hmm. than what I look like. But I also know you know this as a woman in business. We assess each other in three seconds, right? You walk out there on the stage or whatever, and people are automatically judging Can I appreciate what this woman brings to the table? So I get a lot of feedback because I do cry sometimes. Not like, I'm not like just totally losing it, but I do get teary-eyed when I'm talking about some of my own personal stories. My other son has challenges with depression and, you know, came very close to trying suicide. Mm -hmm. And that's very- I know that one. Yes. And my daughter has been diagnosed with melanoma. And, you know, so the healthcare situation is very personal for me. Mm -hmm. When I talk about those really personal stories, or I hear someone else's very challenging and personal stories that they've shared, I can't help it. That Mm -hmm. compassion sometimes gets overwhelmed, but I get a lot of feedback of, Angie, you're too emotional. Angie, don't let that show. And I finally decided, you know what? This is who I am. That doesn't mean I am not capable of making good decisions. And that doesn't mean all my decisions are only based on emotion. Oh, well, let's, let's unpack that emotion thing. Yes, you make great decisions based on experiencing, which makes you relevant to people who are having an experience. You can certainly sit there and say, I understand and mean it. Whereas right. not giving lip service to, oh, I understand, but you've never been there. Or worse, this is to me worse when it comes to politics. You may have even been there but you're not willing to say you've been there on behalf of those that you lead because you're trying to save face and power in your organization. That's the sad thing that has happened to politics today. I think being able to say my son suffers depression, my daughter has melanoma, you know, my son is gay really reflects more of America than we're allowing ourselves to see or My best friend is black and I understand her plight that, you know, I could probably get ahead in the corporate world before she does because I'm a white woman and she's a black woman. How does that work? Right. And knowing these things, you see? Yeah. You know, I, I will say this, as we discussed this a little bit yesterday at the town hall, I know I have a long way to go with regard to my own growth, right? With regard to the black and white race challenge that we are in the midst of today. I feel hopeful that we are really seeing more change, I think, than we had seen ever before. We are seeing more support from the white community than we've ever seen before. And I think of this, you know, I think 
the worst of us, the worst piece of us is that scarcity mentality sometimes can be so much part of just being human, right? Where we're afraid that if we allow African-Americans to get this, that that takes whatever this is away from me, where I, my head doesn't think like that. I think about you know what? If everybody does better, we all do better. And I know that's foreign, but the reality statistics show that that's the truth. That's absolutely the truth. And so, you know, right now I look at the people I worked with. So I'm, I'm going to share a little story. So I worked in a community lifeline center here in McKinney. I was chair of the board and then interim executive director while we were searching for someone. And so while I was at the office one day, Community Lifeline serves families who are in short-term crisis generally with food and financial assistance. And so typically our clients are around the poverty line, um, sometimes below, sometimes they've just hit a crisis. A lot, we're seeing more and more middle income families mm-hmm. who just have this, let's say they have a health crisis and suddenly they find themselves unable to pay their bills or they just can't save enough, right? So while I was working there, I was in the lobby one particular day. We were uh, providing groceries to the clients who were waiting in the lobby. This was pre-COVID, of course. And so I'm packing the groceries. I take them out to my client. And the only reason I'm going to say race, define them by their race, is because I think it's important to the story. So the client I was helping that particular moment was an older Black woman. And I dragged these groceries out and I said to her, let me help you to your car with these because it's heavy. And she looks at me and she says, oh, I have a cart. I don't have a car. And I'm, I'm standing there going, what? And so I said, well, where do you live? Thinking maybe she had walked a couple blocks, but no, it was about three miles oh my goodness. from where she lived because a lot of people don't have transportation here and we do not have public transportation any. So I'm standing there going, okay, I'm going to drive her to home. I don't care. I'm just going to drive her. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I can do that, but I need to make sure someone else has control of what my job I'm supposed to be doing right now. So while I'm thinking this through my head, a lady in her 40s who's Hispanic jumps up and she says, no, I'll take her. And the older black woman said, I'm guessing she's probably 70-ish. She says, oh, I don't want to put you out. And the, the Hispanic woman, I said, well, I'll be happy to take her. And she said, no, I will take her. She grabs her purse and she said this, we are in this together. And so for me, that was such a meaningful moment that made me think about, we are all in this together. Mm -hmm. And here's another quick other story. So my neighbor down the street said to me when he found out I was running, Angie, I've been a Republican all my life. I'm not sure. But he and his wife came to an event I had in December and Then he leaves and he says, well, we'll support you. And so I was like, great. Well, he called me 
literally a week ago. And he says, so I want to know, I want to make sure I know how to vote for you come <laughs> November because right. we, don't, we don't do straight ticket voting balloting anymore. You can't do straight ticket voting. So I said, okay, you just have to go down the ballot and you know, my name will be there and you check my name. And he says, well, I want to just tell you in December when you had that event, which was mostly Democrats, he says, wow, I got to talk to a lot of people and they were all nice. Like he had this preconceived idea that because we were Democrats, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, that we were some aliens, right? That, but he and his wife know me. We've li I've lived here for 20 years, right? So in this same house. He knows, but I just use those examples because we do have more in common than we don't. And I think that is true when it comes to race. We yes. have a lot more in common than we don't. If we can stop yelling at each other and listen to each other and just talk, I believe that we can make meaningful change. Yeah, it's, we can make meaningful change. And I think also what happens is the yelling and the idea of, wow, everybody's really nice in here. The preconceived notions, well, if we can take those barriers down and those walls down, all puns intended, then we can begin to have dialogue that's rich and meaningful. I love that you said that, as mm -hmm. opposed to I'm being defensive. I'm having to right. defend myself because you see me a certain way and that's not who I am or, you know, that's not fair the way it is. And that's black and white. You know, oh, that's absolutely. black and white. It's not just black people. And I'm not making excuses for white people. So don't get me wrong, people out there. I'm just saying that if we can begin to give platform for a voice, for a voice of understanding, a voice for commitment to change, a voice for diving deeper, a voice for standing up, a voice for saying no, and even a voice for accepting the anger, the hurt, the anguish, you know, the emotional tears, accepting that. I think I said that last night when I was interviewing with you that, you know, why do I have to be angry? I'm not angry. I'm just passionate in the moment and my passion just comes across strong. Right. Exactly. So I'm going to share with you, I got this text message just before we started our interview here. So let me context it just briefly. Four years ago, I met six women I had not known before who all of us came together to support and actively work very hard to help the school district pass a school bond here in our community. Mm -hmm. We came from all these, you know, and I was the one who doesn't have children in school anymore, but I felt public education to me is so crucial, right? So I wanted to be part of that bond committee. We call ourselves the bond girls now, <laughs> but anyway, so one of our girls is African-American. And so here's what she wrote us today. And I probably will cry, but okay. she said, I'm reaching out to all of you as I've always valued our friendship. We've all stayed good friends for all these years. And she says, I haven't heard from any of you. So I, I'm assuming you don't know what to say. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. I've had a tough couple of weeks and I'm asking that you keep me in your prayers. I 
always fear for my children, especially my boys who are turning 16 this month and will be driving. The recent developments have shaken me. The conversations I have with my children, you will likely never have. How to get home alive. So keep me in your prayers. So I, I have to give her a lot of credit for sharing that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wish now I had sent them all a specific invitation to last night's conversation. I didn't. But anyway, we all need to get together and really have some together time and be there for, for her because she's right. We don't have those conversations. Yes, we don't. It's important to have them now more than ever. It's important to give voice to that. And, you know, I, I, along with a lot of my black girlfriends, have like, where are all the, where are our white girlfriends? How come they haven't shown up? So there's healing in that knowing and understanding that you got to get beyond that it's going to feel uncomfortable. And you got to put yourself in the shoes of your black women friends and know how it feels that your son may not come home at night because yep. someone who lacks their value would take their life over a hairbrush or over, you know, just leaning to get their driver's license or over being lost and asking a question or jogging or right. any of those things that you know, you don't have to ever worry about. And I'm thankful that you read that post because hopefully, if I were you, I'd set up a Zoom meeting and get all your girlfriends and get her online and let each of them apologize for not touching base with her. It's a double-edged sword. I would do that. And, you know, this podcast may not come out until July. And quite frankly, I think these will still be issues in July. It doesn't change it. They're not going to go away. And I think having like a little, you know, meeting, you got you all the Bond girls and she's the one black. I mean, it's typical if you just have this meeting with her and don't make it essential that she says anything because these are traumas for us as black mothers. It's a trauma. Can you imagine? I've had plenty of nights where I've, you know, Emmett's like, he wants to go out and do something and he's going out with white friends. And I have to tell him, you can go out with your white friends, but whatever kind of crazy stuff they want to do, you can't do it. You cannot do it because they will not go to jail and you will. I don't care how close you are to them, how much they love you, la, 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 la. The bottom line is, is you, you will be the one that won't mm-hmm. come home and they will. So it's hard. So when you do meet with her and I, and I, you know, if I could give some advice, please set up a Zoom meeting or set up a virtual meeting with them, everyone, and just apologize. You know, last night, apologize for not being there. In last night's conversation, and then I've got to end, we've had, normally I do these 45 minutes, we got a good hour. So for those of you out there listening, too bad, this is all good stuff. And I think you'll hang in there with me for an hour. I mean, it's summertime. Where are you going anyway? But last night, this whole thing about reparations, what would do? And one person said education and one person said, well, I wouldn't give money. And what I would give is your ear, your time. Listen, imagine, envision a new world and share it with your white friends. I started this conversation You know, there's a lot of credit that I'm going to give you, Angie, and a lot of you think deep in that way anyway, 
And that's who you are as a person. And you've been raised to be that way. And you've continued to be that way. And your family reflects diversity and a need for understanding of people living their lives as they are. I hope and certainly will put in prayers that your candidacy comes to fruition. Because you, to me, you're the kind of leadership we really, really need in places like Texas and South Carolina. I mean, these are the places where we need white women to step up because they're not expecting you to step up. So when you step up, it's going to make a difference in how we win in November. So I'm encouraging you to step up and continue doing what you're doing and encourage all the white women around you to not be afraid to do the right thing here. This is our moment. Yeah. So I know we need to wrap this up. So here's my commitment to this cause. I am going to continue to educate myself. I am going to listen to my Black American friends. I am going to have conversations, as difficult as they may be. Recently, I had a woman say to me, you can't ask questions. They, meaning the Black community, think you should know. They don't want to talk about it. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know. Sometimes I'm going to have to ask. And if it's too painful, I want you to tell me, right? That's fine. I'm cool with that. But I don't know if I don't ask. I am not a mind reader. I'm not that good. But that being said, those conversations, I think, are crucial to building trust. We Mm -hmm. have to build trust moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I want to remind everybody, vote. This will come out in July. You still have time. This is the truth. Your vote really matters, especially this year. You have have to vote like your life depends on it because it does. I believe it does in Mm -hmm. everywhere. No matter who's listening to this, use your power. Your vote is your voice. Use it. It is so important. It's very important and help other people use it because we know that some of our, some of the candidates out there who feel powerless for some strange reason will try to steal the vote. So make sure that you take one and one with you, and all white women, go vote, because they're not expecting you to do the work. So you do it. You do that work, and it'll pave the way for all of these people who injustices are being thrown at and delivered. You can do this. You've got the power, so take it. And then we'll be there supporting and doing our share, fair share of voting and making a difference for our communities as African-Americans and people of color, as well as the LGBT community. Oh my goodness, did we do a lot. I'm actually listening to this and this may come up, come out before July. It just depends upon, you know, where the next interview lands, but I'm so thankful that we did this today. I want everyone to support Angie. We know that in donations and she's not asking, I'm saying the donations are really important. So it's, it's www.betoforTexas.com. I, I love that. BetoforTexas.com. Yes, take over. Take over Texas and make a difference there. And if you want to know why women, Angie's the example of why women in politics. Thanks so much, Thank Angie. Thank you so much, Denise. Oh, my for goodness. Ha- it's so great to reconnect. And 
let's not let so much time go by before we're doing, hey, we can Zoom. So we anyway. Can Zoom now. We can do all us. kinds of things. <laughs> all right. We can, we can even talk on the phone. <laughs> we can. And when you come to Texas or when I come to D.C., we're going to connect. I'll yes, make it will. a point. All right. Yes, we will. Very yes, good. Will. Thank yes, you so will. much for the platform. You are one of my favorite stars. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you know, you. keep you looking up, much. right? Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Well, that's it for Women Express today. We have covered a lot. I appreciate for those of you who were able to stay the full length of this conversation. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being the warrior women that are out there making a difference on the front line, the sideline, the back line, the forward line, wherever you are, stay the course and let's get this done. Let's come on women. Let's start expressing. Thank you so much. We also, I want to at this moment say that the Women Express Summits are going to be launched in August. Please visit me at www.womenexpresspodcast.com for more information. We're building a website and a landing page in the moment, but you can still get in touch with me through the podcast holder. So www.womenexpresspodcast.com. And let's get together and really carry on this conversation with some of the people that have been our, my guests. So thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Let's express. Bye now. We had a great time today. What I'd like to ask you to do is to rate us, give us good ones, review, and subscribe. And if you loved the time you spent with us and loved our speakers, our interviewees, then share this with your friends. That's collectively Women Express. Thank you for being with me. Bye for now.